0: Welcome to another episode of Whatever We're Calling This, the podcast of comparative literature and cultural studies at the University of Arkansas. Today, we invited Dr. Hilaria Cruz to talk about the Latino community. Dr. Cruz is an assistant professor of comparative humanities at the University of Louisville. She holds a PhD in linguistics from the University of Texas at Austin. Today, as usual, we have a special guest. We have uh, Dr. Hilaria Cruz. Thank you for accepting the invitation, Dr. Cruz.
1: Thank you for the invitation.
0: Dr. Cruz, I would like to start with uh, a quote that I saw on Facebook that uh, it, it really uh, impacted me a lot. I really like it. So it says, El Estado mexicano nos ha negado a los indígenas el derecho de leer, aprender, y disfrutar de cuentos en nuestras lenguas, obligándonos a alfabetizarnos en español, poder leer y discutir cuentos en chatino, con niños chatinos en chatino, es un honor muy único que me llena de emoción. Now in English, the Mexican state has denied the indigenous people the right to read, learn, and enjoy stories in our languages, forcing us to become literate in Spanish reading and discussing stories in chatino language with chatino children is a unique honor that fills me with emotion mm-hmm. dr cruz now can you tell us more about this children's book and how this project started?
1: yes well i i think that um uh, it, it, it helps if we tell a little bit about the, the stories behind of you know the statement that I was putting there that I have uh, as an indigenous persons, uh, along with other indigenous peoples have been denied um, uh, the the joy of, of reading and uh, writing um, stories in our own languages well, you know with uh, with colonization. Uh, indigenous languages were not seen as uh, bona fide languages like European languages. And one of the tools that they use uh, to, to argue that indigenous languages were not real languages was because we did not have um, reading and writing. So there is, so there, uh, there is a discrimination against um, peoples who do not know how to read and write in any language. But if we think about it, uh, we all, you know, as humans are born knowing and having the capacity of learning how to speak ever and and hear language from the moment, you know, from the moment, you know, we are in our, you know, mother's womb. So when uh, when we are um, young, you know, babies, We are, you know, listening, even though, you know, we are not, you know, uh, uttering, you know, words and sentences, but we are already listening and capturing the sounds, Uh, of our, you know, the the languages that, you know, of our families that, you know, that the way our, you know, fathers, mothers, grandparents and and siblings uh, speak. And then, you know, later on we go on and we do like little bubbles, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, um, when we are like seven or eight months old, we already, you know, begin to utter sentences and so on and so forth. So we are, you know, born, with an innate capacity to to speak and to learn languages, so now if you think about um Uh, about reading and writing that is something that we are we are not predisposed genetically to to be able to do right there is no gene that says that you know from the moment we are born, we are able to pick up a pen and then write down, you know our language and have the capacity to read and write no we don't have that capacity, so that's why. Uh, We have to, you know, get trained, you know, someone has to teach us in our world, you know, children, you know, go to school to learn how to read and write. Uh, So then comes, you know, the formation of nation states um, and colonization, you know, colonization comes first. And then later on, we have this formation of nation states. And they say that, you know, indigenous languages um, are not good for progress that you know that the policy should be that indigenous peoples should be integrated into the main culture of the country where they find themselves like, for example, if you are a Native American in the United States, the language that you must learn how to read and, you know, uh, read and write is English and if you are in Mexico, like me. I was born you know in Mexico I'm a speaker of the chatino language from Mexico then you know uh, when we go to school we are taught how to read and write only in the um only in the in the Spanish language and if you if you if we go down you know further in you know like in South America like Brazil you know like where the the language of the colonizers is um Portuguese same reason if you're an indigenous person from uh, from brazil then you are you know when you go to school you are forced to learn only uh, the portuguese language so this is so these are policies that are in place but i think that w- w- another tool that nation states have used against indigenous peoples and indigenous languages is also In addition of forcing children to learn how to read and write uh, in the Spanish language or whatever you know colonizing language is in this in the place where they find themselves is that you know uh, resources. For uh, carrying out research, and particularly, you know, the research that needs to happen if you need to create tools uh, to be able to study, to be able to read, and to be able to write these languages, is uh, linguistics, right? So then, um, um, there is no money that is uh, put in place. Uh, to be able to create, you know, research to study the grammar, the particular grammars and the nuances of these indigenous languages. So then, like myself, when I went to school, I, you know, I spoke the chatino language with my family, with my father and with my mother, with my grandparents, with my friends in the community and with authorities and um, and it was you know like uh, the language was highly appreciated and uh, we you know we we, we spoke chatino but then when we went to school uh, we um, we we only you know uh, learned how to read and write in the spanish language so then um, so that to me like as a chatino speaker i began to question you know from a very early age okay so now i know how to read and write in the Spanish language, I would like to learn how to do the same thing uh, in the Chatino language. I want to be able to uh, to use reading and writing in uh, in Chatino. I want to have books where I'm you know like uh, I'm you know like enjoying a story in the Chatino language. So I, you know, I tried to do it and, um, but it was impossible. Why? Because there were no tools that we could use. There was no research that we could use that tell us, Hey, you know, um, your language is very particular in this case. Like for example, now as a linguist, I know that the Chatino language is like the Chinese language in a sense that uh, we have tones. So uh, the Chatino language uh, has a lot of tones Um, Even more complex tones than than the Chinese language, by the way. So what does that mean, you know, when you have tones? Well, uh, the tones are the ones that tell you the meaning of the word, depending of how, you know, like high or how low you say something, it tells you the meaning of the word. Like for example, in the Chatino language, um, I could, you know, uh, say something uh, that segmental segmentally meaning by segments I mean in the linguistics we call segments consonants and vowels, right? Like I could write a word with K L A Kla. So if I say the word low, kla, that means fish or star. If I say really high, kla, that's uh that's weaving loom. And if I say like if if I put the melody like right in the middle, Clà that's dream, and if I put it, if I pronounce it a little bit higher, is clà. That's a water, uh, like a puddle, like a water. Clà dream, clà fish. Uh, then I could make um, a rising. I can rise my voice, and I could say clà. That is a verb. It means you will arrive. Uh, tomorrow and then uh, uh, and then if I, and then if I go down clah, he will arrive. so um, so we have a great complexity of you know tonal melodies, and if you have only been trained to read and write in the Spanish language, um, it's very difficult to create an orthography that is easy to to use, uh, it's easy to learn. And um, so that was one of the huge barriers that we had as Chatino speakers and wanted to create an orthography, an alphabet for our language because we did not have the tools. And because there was the Mexican government wanted all the indigenous peoples to only learn the Spanish language and nothing else, so it is a, it was a, a it has been a great disservice even today, the chatino children still only learn uh, how to read and write in the chatino language so that's why I uh, I um, enter um i become very interested i became very interested in studying um um, linguistics because i wanted to create an orthography for the chatino language so together with my sister emiliana cruz who is also um, a linguist anthropologist and dr tony woodbury who um who is a professor at the University of Texas at Austin we uh, you know like we were begging you know linguists please teach me how to read and write my language so that is how i came into linguistics because i wanted to create an orthography for the chatino language because i wanted to uh, i wanted to know how to read the language i wanted to study the grammar of the chatino language because it's a language that i love it's a language that you know uh, that i spoke with my you know uh, elders with uh, my friends and you know and uh, and to see that these languages are getting lost is to me is, a, you know, uh, it makes me uh, very sad. So, uh, so I don't, uh, you know, like I don't want my language to die. So that's, that is how, um, when, um, of course, now I know how to read and write and I know a lot. There is a lot to learn still about uh, about the Chatino grammar. But I wanted to learn how to, you know, like um, how to read and write. So then, uh, so we have we created an orthography. We have taught with our own means other you know, um, Chatino, you know, people, young people to to uh, to read and write in this language. So that is how I began to create these books. And one of the unique things about these books that I've created is that the books. are are monolingual. They don't have a translation into Spanish or into English. Of course, there's nothing. I have nothing against these languages. I mean, I love languages because I'm a linguist, but, you know, um, but I feel that, you know, uh, we need to create more materials in indigenous languages with no translation because There is a place of course you know for um enjoying you know bilingual books but i feel i haven't done any studies this is just my you know gut feeling that when you are presented with books that have you know um, uh, writings in uh, both languages like for example bilingual books right you have the you have the native language or whatever you know language um let's say you know a translation of english and bantu right like um uh, an african language yeah so you might have bantu and you have english but if you are a, if you are a native speaker of the english language what is your gaze what is your eye gonna gravitate towards because you know we're humans we are c- curious a cu- curious people so of course we're gonna you know of course we're gonna see uh the bantu but you know uh if we're gonna say oh this is cute But, you know, we're not going to pay too much attention to it. It's going to be like the the focus of our attention is going to be the language that we know. So I did not want the chatino uh, you know, graphemes to be just a decoration on the page, I want people to be able to use it, I want it to be a working orthography, I want it to work for people, so um, it has been a wonderful experience, I um, I, I first you know, created these, these books uh, at Dartmouth College with my students together with you know, artists and um and uh, you know who came together to help me it was just a wonderful experience so then um, uh, so we created these books i began to to read these books with people in my community and people were just like really uh taken by these books because they have the the books have you know very cute illustrations you, uh, uh, you guys can see them because you can actually the books are you know you can download them for free um so um So, in addition to being, you know, cute and, you know, like uh, people enjoying the, you know, like uh, looking at the Chatino writing in conjunction with, you know, with the beautiful, you know, like illustrations, the books actually uh, have opened up a a dialogue about language loss. Like, for example, I was reading one of the stories to a gentleman from my community, and then he began to say, you know what, I'm really sad, you know, my kids are not teaching Chatino to their kids, like, You know, rather than me going to people, hey, you know, teach chatino to your kids, you know, like pointing the the finger at people, (laughs) it's just like, hey, let's read a story. And people just, you know, offer these stories. Uh, um, So I created these uh, six books. And uh, these books were also translated into two Native American languages, Ojiwe, which is a language uh, spoken in the Great Lakes, and Hupa, which is an indigenous language uh, spoken in, um, um, in Northern California. So, um, currently I'm, uh, I'm an assistant professor at the University of uh, Louisville in the Cooperative Humanities, I was teaching a class on endangered languages and there we created six more books, but this time I wanted to play with the tonal melodies that I was telling you before. So what I did was that I gave students list of words that have like tonal tono groups like, for example, the word. kla uh, kla kla. so I gave them list like groups of words, you know, like that sounded, you know, like that, that could be writing words that could be written with the same consonants and vowels, but just with the difference in tonal melodies. So each student got their own uh, uh, tonal, you know, their set of words, and they, they wrote these stories. And um, there were some beautiful stories that came up and 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 it's so funny because uh, even though people like these writers have not been to the Chetino communities but just by the sheer fact that the fact that they are using words in the Chatino language, the stories come out like. You know, they seem like contextualized in the Chatino culture. It's so it's so cute. But also, of course, you know, what happens is that then uh, my students are, you know, uh, speakers of the English language. So they write their stories. So we edit the stories. And we, once we have a story in English that, you know, we think that is is a nice story, then I translate the, the stories into Chatino. And then together with other Chatino speakers, uh, we edit the stories. Like for example, once I once I feel that i have a working story then i i ask you know i enlist other chatino speakers hey who would like to listen a story so i read them the story and they say "Eh, i like that i don't like that so basically we make the edits so once we have then the edits then we we get an illustrator and um, so once we have the illustrator, then, you know, like we get someone to do uh, to lay out the books and then so, of course, we do the, 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 uh um We self publish the stories and this is how I have created the stories and um, it has been a, a wonderful experience and I, you know, I would like to continue doing that, you know, in the future.
0: No, that's uh, that's uh, a great introduction. Uh... Dr. Cruz, you gave us a, a, a lot of uh, food for thought. I guess that that's the expression. No, it's. Oh, oh yes. Food for thought that. That's, yes, that's the expression. And uh, well, I have some follow up questions for you. Yeah. Now, you mentioned the the experience at school that in, in Mexico, this is like indigenous languages are not seen as a benefit for the community. And that's something that as well happens in Colombia. Indigenous languages are not appreciated and Spanish is, and English is seen as the opportunities that, that people can uh, expand and get more opportunities. Now, in your case, I heard some other uh, podcast before uh, doing the interview with you. Uh, I, I, w- I was curious, how was your experience in Mexico? I guess that you were around eight years old when you first start school. So can you tell us, because like in the United States and and also in Colombia and in most of the countries, schools are seen as places where people learn, but schools have never seen as a place where identity is erased in the same process. Mm -hmm. So can you tell us a little bit about that, that experience, your experience at school?
1: Yeah, I mean, um. Well, school has uh, has been used by nation states to um, um, as indoctrination as a place where they bring children, indigenous children, not to learn because they have considered they have viewed indigenous peoples as being um, how. What is the politically correct word to use? they view indigenous childrens having a a, um, a learning disability. Um, it seems like most studies that teachers do is that they, you know, these these children cannot learn. But you know, so so that's why, and um, you know, the, the way you know, um, you know, uh, lectures are done if you pass by a a school in Mexico is that they, the teachers are yelling like, ah, eh, and it seems like they're just, you know, like, they're just yelling at people because they consider these children as having a disability. So then, uh, so then there, it seems like their biggest goal then is to be able to indoctrinate these children and rally them, Around uh, uh, the symbols of the nation states, in this case, in Mexico, growing up was that they um, they taught children how to uh, how to uh, goose step uh, to honor the Mexican flag. They taught them uh, the the Mexican national anthem. Uh, they you know taught them to use these uniforms and to uh, to see that uh, it was prestigious if you knew how to march to the tune of the you know Mexican flag, of how to salute the flag. it was very militaristic. so then um, uh, so that was their angle to be able to indoctrinate um, people and rally them around these these symbols. like, for example, even in in some towns in in Mexico right now, uh, around the, um, September sixteenth, when was the supposed that when was the Mexican Independence Day? Um, they have this contest of like supposedly like the beauty queen, and the beauty queen is called America, and America, the beauty queen, is dressed in this white dress. Uh, with this like wearing, you know, like the all of the the colors of the of the Mexican, you know, flag like uh, red, uh, it is red, white and green. So uh, and then she, she comes to the main stage and she sings the um, uh, the the Mexican national anthem. And uh, that is what it seemed prestigious and that is something that every girl should aspire to be able to uh, to learn uh, to be the the American beauty queen, to be able to sing the Mexican flag. But that's it. Nothing else. Um, So what uh, what happens here? Well, they are erasing culture, they are erasing uh, languages and they are not teaching. Uh, valuable lessons that people could use in their lives. I mean, what, uh, what service is it to learn, um, to rally around uh, the Mexican national symbols? Well, I guess, you know, uh, you don't, you don't question the notion of a nation state. Maybe, um, m- maybe you are taught that lesson, but have you taught any other lessons uh, that it could serve you in life? Like for example, why is it that, you know, most everybody uh, young indigenous peoples as only aspiration is to be able to come to the United States and work washing dishes or, you know, find any other jobs that might, you know, um, uh, where they can, you know, earn some income to help their families. So. Um, uh, the situation of our um, public education is just not serving indigenous peoples, and it's not serving young people. And it seems like uh, there has been, you know, struggles of you know uh, teachers, and which I respect, but I have not seen them really questioning um, the curriculum that they are teaching and uh, and and the way they are. Uh, in cahoots with the, nation's, with the nation state to erase culture and to erase language.
0: Dr. Cruz, uh, you mentioned the word service. So I am curious, what are concrete ways that academics and universities and in general, the public can help and support indigenous peoples? Because uh, there is this land recognition, I have seen that people use it a lot in emails, uh in statements from universities but i was curious about what are concrete ways that 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 we can help
1: okay so i think that one concrete way in which people could help is (laughs) well for example uh donating some funds to create more children's books like for example i have a gofundme um, um, project People you know, are welcome to contribute with some funds to create more children's books. Secondly, here in the United States, there, is, um, um, there, is a, there has been a great migration of indigenous peoples from south of the border. And a lot of them uh, use you know, services such as you know, the medical services, they, you know, hospitals, uh, they use the courts. Up until um, recently, uh, many of these peoples, uh, when they came to the hospitals, just because they came from south of the border, uh, nurses and doctors just assumed that they spoke the Spanish language and they gave them uh, a Spanish language interpreter. But we have seen that a lot of Hispanized peoples in uh, Mexico and in other places, they also discriminate against indigenous peoples. So, when uh, when these indigenous peoples come and use these services, oftentimes these Hispanized interpreters have sided with the nurses and doctors, and they have committed great injustices against indigenous peoples. Particularly, I'm I'm gonna talk about um, the case of this uh, Chetina woman um, in Iowa State. Uh, She came from the community and she was, you know, she was young and she was working. Um, She met someone from the same community, this was in Iowa, she met someone from the same community and they began having kids so she had one child um, when the child was like um, a year old they had another they had a second child when that second child uh, was born they found out that the child was really really sick and that she needed great medical attention. Um, she needed to, she needed to access, uh, she needed to be taught how to take care of this baby because I think that she was born with, uh, cerebral palsy and she, uh, she needed a lot of, uh, care. So, uh, so the workers at the hospital were trying to teach, uh, Domitila, uh, is her name, uh, Domitila Candelario is her name. They were trying to teach her how to take care of this sick baby when they took her back home they realized that she was not following uh, directions. So they called the Spanish uh, interpreter, the Spanish interpreter came, the Spanish interpreter sided with with the doctors and they deemed her disabled. So they deemed the mother disabled, they kept the child at the hospital, they called child protection services and like for a year they follow her, they began to look into her life and this is so interesting because, you know, like I, you know, I, I already, you know, said that they were really poor. So then, um, so Domitila was collecting, um, cans because, uh, because she, you know, needed some money, you know, like she was collecting the cans because she needed to, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, she wanted to get some money, you know, like the false five cents that you get for deposits. Okay. So she was collecting the cans and she was collecting beer cans, beer cans. So, so she had a ton of beer cans in her home. So Child Protection Services just said, oh, okay, there's alcoholism in this house, there's abuse, there is, um, they never asked her, you know, why did she have those beer cans? So they used, they used this against her. They came and snatched that older boy, like he was nine, a year old when they came and snatched the boy away from her. Um, she was really ashamed of what happened. This was in 2001 when she called me and she says, hey, Ilaria, they took my two kids away. Could you help me? I went to Iowa, but it was just way too late. We only had like a month to be, to appeal to the Iowa Supreme Court. Actually, I borrowed $5,000 out of my credit card. We appealed to the, you know, we made the appeal to the Iowa Supreme Court because she was denied of a constitutional rights. She was never given a, a Chatino interpreter. So, to tell us a, a big, uh, you know, a, a long you know, story, to make a long story short. Um, okay, so, of course, they took the, those kids away from her. Um, in 2020, Right before COVID broke, Domitila called me back and she says, "Hey, Laria, uh, do you remember that that kid that the state of Iowa took away from me?" And I say, "Yes." He says, "One of the uh, one of the the young men uh, got got in touch with me." So it was just a beautiful moment. Um, now they don't have a language in common because the young man was was placed with a with an Anglo family. Uh, he did he of course he is not going to speak Chatino. He doesn't speak, speak Spanish. A wonderful, you know, young man. So he uh, wanted to meet his mother. So it took two years from the time they, you know, like they, you know, had that first encounter over, you know, me- you know, Facebook Messenger. Um, last year, we went. Um, a group of us went and helped them uh, get reunited. It was just a really an amazing moment. And you know, Domitila told her young men, because I brought, I also brought my books and I, you know, I I show, you know, Joey, her son, these books. And Domitila said to him, The reason why they took you away from me, the reason why the state of Iowa took you away from me was because I'm a speaker of the Chatino language. And this is this is my language. And you know, this is something that we in this country, we need to to be educated about, we need to know that there is um, that people who, who come from side of the side of the border, they don't only speak. To, uh, speak. Spanish they they are they they are speakers of many many languages and so in in knowing this we need you know uh, we need to get educated so that we are not committing injustices and separating children's and taking away children from indigenous families like like what happened to these families like for example that other that kid that was really sick we don't know what happened to her we don't you know because some people said that they you know that the they were adopted by a family, they took them to the Dominican Republic, we don't know. So it is a very sad situation, but these are what happens when uh, when people uh, do not know about, they are not aware that people speak other languages besides Spanish.
0: No, and uh, Dr. Cruz, this uh, is, is a good way to celebrate Native American Heritage Month is to recognize differences recognize that there is a diversity in the language and and recognize that not because they are coming from a different country or the rest of people in north and central and south america that all of them speak spanish so it it has been a pleasure and inspiring stories i have learned a lot from your experience so thank you very much for accepting the invitation dr cruz
1: it has been a pleasure thank you for the invitation
0: Well, it looks like the episode is over. Thank you to the Program of Comparative Literature and Cultural Studies. Thank you to Dr. Cruz for accepting the invitation. I hope you join us next time in another episode of whatever we're calling this. Nos vemos.